do you remember the first time that you tried to pray? I, I said to God, I just said, I'm ready to believe. Like, I want to believe. If you exist, if you're really there, help me because I can't do it on my own. But if you're there, like right. now's the moment. Like, I need to know. I need to know if you're, if you're really, truly real. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Crab on the Cross podcast. I'm your host, Mary Rose, and today I have a real treat for you. This is my first ever interview with a nun, Mother Asterone Dodeca. She is a religious sister with the Servants of the Lord and the Virgin of Matara, and she sits down to share her incredible conversion story. She was essentially an atheist became Catholic in high school, and then became a religious sister not long after college. She has a really beautiful story. I love conversion stories because I love hearing about the unique ways that God works in people's lives. I know that you're going to really enjoy this interview. You can show your love by sharing this with a friend, Uh, sharing it on social media, commenting on the YouTube channel, commenting on Instagram, or leaving a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. Also, this is episode number 11. That means that there is only one more episode left in season one of The Crab and the Cross. Don't worry, though. I have some really exciting things planned um, in between the end of season one and the start of season two. You are definitely going to want to make sure you're following me on Instagram because there's going to be some giveaways And make sure you're also subscribed to my YouTube channel because I will be dropping some short YouTube videos um, during the month of January. So without further ado, here's my conversation with Mother Asterone. Mother Asterone Dodeca has been a member of the Sisters Servants of the Lord and the Virgin of Matara, for over 10 years. She is originally from Portland, Oregon, and she is a graduate of Mount St. Mary's University in Emmitsburg, Maryland. Currently, she teaches theology at the university and assists with liturgies for pilgrims to the grotto. Sister, thank you so much for joining me today. So glad to be here. Thanks, Mary Rose. You're my first sister on the podcast, Ooh. so <laughs> you have to represent all of religious life to the people. <laughs> oh, you got a high order for me then. Yeah. Yeah, so we were, we were talking before we started, your your religious name is very um, unfamiliar, you know, both in language and even in meaning. So what, is, what does the name actually mean? So my name is actually in Greek, and it's taken from the book of Revelation, chapter 12, where you have the woman clothed with the sun, the moon under her feet, and a crown of 12 stars on her head. So my name is taken directly from the Greek there, Maria Asteron Dodeca, Mary of 12 stars. Wow. So whenever I introduce myself, I get to tell people what my name means and say, hey, it's all Greek to you. (laughs) Yeah. And I'm sure also for a lot of people, give them like a little biblical lesson because I don't think people are as familiar with that passage, you know, especially relating to Mary. Right. Exactly. And it's beautiful because she does really represent uh, the woman who, I guess you could say, bridges the Old Testament and the New Mm -hmm. Testament. So she represents the Jewish people as the the mother of the 12 tribes of Israel. But then on the other hand, she's also the mother of the church, the mother of the 12 apostles, and then t- together with the kind of apocalyptic genre yeah, of the yeah, book yeah. of Revelation, she's the book of the last times, or mm-hmm. the woman, the mother of the last times. So you get a lot of symbolism. Yeah, that's cool. So do the your fellow sisters call you something for short? <laughs> <laughs> it's kind of fun. So... Our founder, when he when he founded us, he asked us to all take different Marian titles or names so that as we speak to one another in the house, it's kind of like a constant litany to Our Lady being offered up. So, of course, there becomes kind of shorthand. Right, versions. right. Unfortunately, you can't really get my name too short. So yeah, that's <laughs> true. <laughs> Usually they just call me Asterone. Asterone, um, yeah. And then some of my classmates like to put a little spin on it and call me by my second half of the name when nobody Dodeca. else does. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's fun. Wow. Okay, so you're all the way from Portland, Oregon. How did you come to the East Coast? How did you end up at Mount St. Mary's? <laughs> 
Well, I I came to the to the mount primarily to play softball. Oh, okay. So growing up, I was an avid softball player, competitive softball, all my summers, my whole life, my whole life was softball. I had a conversion in high school, and that kind of shifted my ideals for life, I guess you could mm-hmm. say, kind of what some of my goals were. But I couldn't quite let go of Division One softball. Yeah. <laughs> so I started looking for a Catholic school that was Division One and small liberal arts, which really... Catholic Division One, yeah. liberal arts, small. <laughs> narrows it down to like one. <laughs> right, exactly. So that's kind of how I made it to the Mount. Wow. So did you go to Catholic high school? No, I I went to a public high school, but I became Catholic my senior year of high school. Wow. Were you anything before? Uh, no, no. I guess I would I would say probably I no. I, I was I was pretty adamantly atheist. Wow. Um, we had no faith tradition growing up. So your family, your parents were not any religion no. whatsoever. Mm-mm. Did you celebrate like Christmas and all that? <laughs> you know, in the good old pagan way. <laughs> right, right, right. Of course, like any American. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. Plenty of gifts and Santa Claus and cookies and of course. milk and, you know, all yeah. the things. Yeah. Would you say like in your household there was an anti-religious sentiment or just was not really important? I wouldn't quite go so far as anti um Although at the, at the, when I was in high school and when I was having my conversion, I kind of felt like it was mm. anti, anti-Christian. anti My parents both grew up in North Portland um, in a single-parent single, single parent household with lots of, ch- lots of siblings, very poor. Um, and when they got married, their main family value or the main value was family. Mm-hmm. And so for them... And that, that's a, I mean, beautiful fan. Of course, yeah. Beautiful value. So definitely I'm, I'm very thankful and grateful to my parents for the way they've raised me. But this, the emphasis on the family was to the point of saying, like, all we need is the family. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, all you need to really to be okay in life is, like, a good family relationship. And so there was a lot of, like, kind of scoffing at others and kind of this idea of, like, uh, religion is a crutch mm-hmm. for those who are too weak to really be able to handle life, I guess. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Have you ever seen the show Portlandia? <laughs> Keep Portland weird. Yeah. 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 <laughs> I mean, you just, there, there's, I, I've never been to Portland, but you just have this idea that it's, it's like a very secular uh, town, um, you know, pretty progressive, just more so into culture, like, you know, culture that's music or food or whatever. Sure, and it's just yeah. not, you don't just think of, like, Christian family values. You think of, like, Portland, Oregon. No, by no <laughs> means. <laughs> by no means. Yeah. yeah. So how did you encounter the Catholic Church? Well, in high school, I had a number of, of Christian friends. So actually, by the time I got into high school, I had moved across the river, and I was in Camas, Washington. Okay. So um, slightly different culture there, okay. I would say. But um, but still, pretty, pretty secular. The Northwest is pretty secular mm-hmm. in, in general. But in the particular high school that I was in I was in the band the high school band and there were a lot of Christians in the band so that was kind of like the hub of of the there were Mormons there were Catholics there were Protestants there were kind of everything so my first introduction was was basically through my friends where I was like whoa who are you yeah (laughs) what are you guys doing you know um praying going to church yeah what exactly youth group like they're inviting me to things I'm like you guys are crazy huh yeah yeah I always I mean I had a friend in high school I went to Catholic high school but I had a friend who her parents are from Canada they were pretty secular and she wasn't really raised in any religion and I think it was always kind of an anomaly for her and it's it's hard for me to like put myself in that context because I'm just I was just born raised Catholic and right uh been in a relatively Catholic environment and so it's interesting to hear what people's like perception of religion is, especially Christianity, from the complete outside, you know? Yeah. And really for me, I saw my friends and I was like, you guys are brainwashed. Really? That was like my first impression wow. of them. I'm like, you guys are brainwashed. You've just drank the Kool-Aid that mom and dad have told you. <laughs> right. And you don't know anything about the real world. Mm. Not that I knew anything about sure, the real world right. either, but you know, <laughs> it was easy to say that about somebody else. Of course, <laughs> of course. Wow. So did you start off then going to more like Protestant churches? 
I didn't actually accept any of their offers. Oh, okay. <laughs> <to be> <laughs> okay. <laughs> they would invite me, but I, I wouldn't really accept. But hanging out with them, um, I don't know why they stayed friends with me because mm. really a lot of our conversations turned into debates mm. about the existence of God, oh, wow. the purpose of religion, some of the moral issues that are important to, to Christians, and we would debate about them. Yeah. And frankly, I... I was a better debater than they were, so I would crush them pretty well. Yeah, yeah, yeah of course. <laughs> you know? uh, but they were patient with me, and they, they continued to, to, over, to be friends with me yeah. more than anything. I think that was, like, the biggest witness that they had was they didn't just let me go off the wayside because I was atheist. Sure, yeah. Yeah, and I think that's, like, a good lesson for, for people who are, like, in the, like, maybe even more specifically in the work of evangelization or if they – are like hoping and praying for the conversion of a family member or friend is that like, you know, that like steady patience yeah. is probably going to bear more fruit than like a really, really good argument. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. Because you, unless somebody's really searching for the truth when you're, when you're dialoguing with them, mm -hmm. you can be the best debater in the whole wide world. Yeah. And it's not going to, it's not going to touch them. Right. Right. But your witness of life will. Absolutely. Your witness of life will, and your consistency of life, coherency with what you believe and what you profess to believe, that will, that will cause them to ask some questions. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. So was there a time in high school when you started kind of taking the initiative then, like this religious quest? I think more than anything... Well, you know, they talk, they talk about these existential crises, right? Oh, yeah. <laughs> I have one, like, every day. Yeah, so exactly. <laughs> doesn't go away when you become Catholic. <laughs> nope, does not. <laughs> but in high school, so I, I started to struggle a little bit with trying to, to bring in my beliefs with how I was living my life. Hmm. And, and that brought in a couple of paradoxes or, or contradictions that I was not so comfortable with, and I had to kind of ask some questions. So one of them was... My parents had taught me a lot of really good natural values, but then at the same time, the only purpose in life was success. Yeah. Um, and not success in a super worldly way, like success, successful family, a successful job, but success was like right. the, 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 the purpose that we were all aiming to. So you're in honors, you're doing varsity sports, mm -hmm. you know, everything. It's all like, okay, the next prize that you can win, right? Everything's oriented in that direction. But I started to realize, like, if that's the goal, why am I doing it in a good way hmm. or, like, in a virtuous way? If success is, like, the whole purpose. Oh, right. Like, why don't you just do what you can to get to the top? Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah, why? So why why be good? Right. Why be good if there's no – so I, I could see that, that, like, I wanted to be a good person. Yeah. But I had no reason for it. Hmm. no like final end to it like purpose for it so I think that was one thing and then the other kind of contradiction that I would feel often is each time that I would achieve something new of course there'd be like that excitement and that happiness that comes with those types of achievements but immediately it would disappoint mm. and it would kind of like leave me super empty inside wow and that was hard to kind of deal with like, okay, so if that's my goal, like if I, if it's just going from success to achievement to success to achievement right. and nothing brings a lasting happiness, ooh, yeah, that's hard. Oh, absolutely. I mean, it just is like, it's, it's, it's the rat race. It's the hamster wheel. It's, exactly. You know, you get the prize and then immediately you have to get the next prize. And, you know, I think, I think there's probably a lot of people who aren't um, able to be conscious of that, you know, maybe they it kind of subconsciously, they, they feel this dissatisfaction, but I think especially to be in high school and be able to put your finger on it and be like, this isn't making sense. This isn't adding up. Right. Right. And I think that's where also the witness of my, of my friends came in because they, well, I wouldn't say not, some of them were also like on this success road. Sure. Who isn't on the, that's our part of our culture, right? That's what of they course. tell us in high school and in college and young adulthood and adulthood. And then all of a sudden you become old and you're like, what was that all about? <laughs> but my, my friends, they, they had a happiness and a joy that sustained through the ups and downs of the external success, achievement, failure, et cetera. 
there was something in them that I couldn't quite put my finger on, but I, I wanted it. Hmm. And I, and that's, I think, like really the moment where things started to change for me because I was able to kind of say, oh, instead of, instead of my friends being um, ignorant and stupid and brainwashed, <laughs> I started to say, oh, well, maybe ignorance is bliss. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so I actually started to get kind of like a little jealousy of them because huh. I was like, man, at least had I been born in a Christian household, I could have been, you know, brainwashed into this. But I, at least I'd be happy. I wouldn't have the truth, but I would be I would be happy. Wow. I wouldn't have to deal with the, the harsh reality of there being no purpose in life. Yeah, right. I mean, what do your friends say, kind of those platitudes of like, you know, God has a plan and everything happens for a reason. <laughs> I think they knew better than to say okay, those things yeah, to yeah, me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but they lived it. Yeah, for sure. They definitely lived it. And it's not to say they didn't struggle. And it's interesting to look back now and talk with some of my friends because they really did struggle with their faith like any high schooler does as they start to own their faith from being brought up in a, in a practicing family or something like that. But from the outside, I didn't see that. Yeah, I, I saw the solidity of their faith and the beauty of what they had. Yeah, which I think is 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 a beautiful point for all of us. Like when we do start to struggle a little bit with our faith, we start to think that, oh, no, everything's over. But the faith is a lot stronger than we think it is Mm. sometimes. Yeah. And it's it's not something that just we hold individually. Like it's something that the church holds and has held throughout time. And like it's not only like if, if your faith is wavering, like there's faith of others that can kind of bolster you. Absolutely. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So do you remember the first time that you tried to pray? (laughs) Yes. (laughs) That was kind of the moment, I would say the moment of my conversion and the moment of my, of my, my religious vocation also all together in one. Yeah. Talk about a life changer. (laughs) But one of my friends, they had, they had started, um, challenging me to read the Bible. Mm -hmm. So this was the first like invitation challenge that I kind of accepted. And to be honest, I don't even remember what it was I was reading or, and and it wasn't the first day I was reading. I don't know. It was like, you know, a couple weeks into it. I'm sure I was in the new Testament somewhere. And this was junior year of high school. So for those who are familiar with competitive sports, this is the time that you're signing Mm -hmm. for colleges, for division one colleges. So I had just been offered Louisiana State University. Oh, wow. Which for the softball players, like that's like the top of the top. They really? always go to the, the championship tournaments at for the Division One. It's it's like your dream. Yeah. So I, I knew I didn't want to go there. <laughs> but the fact that I received an offer to yeah. go there was just like, whoa, <laughs> so awesome. But like I said, it was like such a fleeting joy. And I knew it wasn't going to going to last. And so I think it was even that evening that I had gotten, I was up in my room and I had been reading and I tossed the Bible across the floor because I was just like, I, I can't handle this anymore. But I was, I was filled with so many questions and so much doubt and so much longing and, yeah, ex- existential crisis, right. right? Like you're just like in that moment. And I, so I, I knelt down at my, at my bed you know, of course, you have to kneel to pray. That's of course, the only thing I yeah, exactly, and exactly <laughs> right. But I, I prayed, and and I and I prayed very authentically, like from the heart. There were I've never been taught to pray, so there was no way to do like some formula prayer mm-hmm. or anything like that. But I just I, I said to God, I just said, I'm ready to believe. Like I want to believe. If you exist, if you're really there, help me because I can't do it on my own. But if you're there, like right. now's the moment. Like I need to know. I need to know if you're if you're really, truly real. Yeah. And um, yeah, God answers those types of prayers. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> when we speak from the heart, mm-hmm. He really does. And um, I, in a moment, in an instant, I knew, in the depths of my heart, in the depths of my being, that God existed that he loved me, and that I belonged entirely to him. Wow. Wow. And not a feeling, I don't know how to put words to it. It was in the depths of my heart. 
in the depths of my soul. These were wow, yeah, huh? Did you feel at that moment too that you knew that this God also became man in Jesus Christ? <laughs> <laughs> you know, I think about that a lot now because I teach classes on on Revelation. I uh, teach classes on Devero Encarnado, like on 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 Christ, the incarnate Word, and think to myself, how in the world did I come to faith in Christ? Right. But I think it was part of, it was like part of the pa- pa- package. I, I I don't remember there being like a specific, uh, like I said, those kind of three points were the ones that like I felt and yeah. knew very deeply. But it never was a question to me that Jesus wasn't God. Huh. Yeah, that's so fascinating. Wow. Was this an emotional experience for you? I wouldn't... I had an emotional response to it, yeah, yeah, <laughs> I would yeah, definitely yeah. say. Um, for me, it, I don't think the experience itself, I, I, I wouldn't call it emotional so okay. much as, as really in the depths, feeling this in the depths of my of my being. But when I kind of came to realize what was going <laughs> on, I was like, whoa, talk yeah. about like my whole life is totally changed. Yeah. Everything is totally changed. And that, that brought about uh, a lot of different struggles. I mean... Mm-hmm. I had to be able to now come to terms with my family and the beliefs that my family had. I had to come to terms with, okay, what does this mean for my life now? Where do I go from here? Which church do I go to? Where do I find more truth? Like, you've given me something, but there's a lot more to come. I don't, I, where do I go from here? Right, right. So did you feel like you were led then on, just a straight path to the Catholic church or was it kind of a (laughs) windy road? (laughs) It was a little windy. So I had a great love and desire for truth. Yeah. And I think that was instilled from, from my youth, from my parents. And, and I'm very grateful for that gift because many in our culture do not understand and love the truth. Right. So I, I was convinced that there was one truth about God. And that there was one church that had the truth about God. Unfortunately, I went for a little bit down the um, the road of Mormon Mormonism. Really? Yeah. <laughs> Fascinating. <laughs> uh, which, I mean, I, it's understandable just be based on the region you were in and mm-hmm. based on just, I think, the evangelicalism of, of the Mormon church. <laughs> yes, <you know>? exactly. <laughs> <laughs> they got you. <laughs> <laughs> right. And that was most of my friend group was yeah. most of them were Mormons. I had a couple of Catholic friends and then a couple of Protestant friends. But the, the Protestant, sorry, friends, they didn't get me. They didn't they didn't have much to kind of argue with. Okay. Um, but the Mormon church and the Catholic church are, I would say, the two mainstream that have claims to having some sort of like fullness of truth. Hmm. Yeah. Uh, Obviously, like the Protestants, each of them is like, there's a break, there's a reformation, there's a right, right, right. Um, The Mormon church, for those who don't know, they they kind of believe that after the death of the last of apostles, the church um, kind of fell into apostasy for a period of time until, I guess it was like the 1700s, 1800s, that Joseph Smith received a revelation the fullness of truth was brought back. Mm-hmm. But they teach with that type of authority, right? right like, so they course. claim that type of authority of like being the fullness of truth of the church of Jesus Christ. Some of the things were crazy. <laughs> but I was like, man, 10, 10, 10 days ago, I thought all of Christianity was crazy. Sure. So whatever's crazy is crazy. And yeah, but they but they were recommending to you the Bible. They weren't saying, oh, you need to read the Book of Mormon. And can you believe it? Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, yeah, I guess. Praise God, right? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> right, right, right. <laughs> huh. Okay, so did you, were you allowed to go to a Mormon church despite not being Mormon? So you can go to their Sunday services, okay. but to go to the temple, which would be kind of like for bigger types of religious celebrations, I don't know, uh, you would have to be a member okay. to go. And that's like a completely separate building, like the temple versus the church? Yeah, exactly. Okay. Yeah, because okay. yeah, I've known people who've been invited to Mormon weddings, and they, they go, but they can't go Yeah, exactly. Inside. Yeah, they can't go inside, right? <laughs> like, oh, man, that's so strange. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, for their Sunday services, I could go. Um, I would sneak off from my family so they really? wouldn't know where I was. And I even, they have, um, they have like a catechism structure. They call it seminary mm-hmm. uh, for their high school 
for their high schoolers, and that takes place every day before school. Wow. So they go early morning, have a zero period uh-huh. at their church for religion class, and then they go to, to school afterwards. So wow. I would get up early and go to their religion class in the morning to kind of learn some some more about that and then go off to school, uh, all without my parents knowing, of course. Oh, my gosh. that that's That's actually really fascinating to me because I think – in the Catholic Church, we're always trying to make things as accessible to the youth as possible. Right, right. And, like, we would never do CCD <laughs> early in the morning. 6.30 in the morning? Never. No, never. You know? And, I mean, partly, like, I'm sure most parents don't want to, like, get their kids up early and drive them and all right. that stuff. But, I mean, that's that's just kind of remarkable on a human level that you had these teenagers going to their religion class in the morning before mm-hmm. like okay because I taught high school theology <laughs> and I mostly taught seniors and good luck getting them there for first period yeah exactly know? exactly so like that's actually kind of impressive I, I really do admire honestly the way that the formation works in the in the Mormon in the Mormon church and mm-hmm. and there is this like desire on their behalf to really form well their their children and their youth and then most adult or most young adults are expected to go on a mission trip. Right. So at least all the males are expected to go on a mission trip after they finish high school and sometimes the females as well. Mm. So it, it, there's like a high standard and, and I could tell the difference of those of my friends that were Mormon, how they owned their faith because there were sacrifices they put in for their faith. And yeah. so there was something of it that was theirs. Right. Yeah. Was there a moment where you just became kind of dissatisfied with with their theology or with their practice? I think the whole time I was a little dissatisfied. Yeah. But again, I was kind of, I guess I was actually kind of falling into some of the Protestant fideism because Hmm. I figured to myself, okay, it doesn't really make sense. There's not like a beauty between the truths that like attracts but if this is the truth and this is what I got to go with, right? Like if this is how God says it is, then yeah. here we go. But I, and and so then at that point, I started debating with my Catholic friend. So we started doing a lot of debates back and forth between Mormon church, Catholic church, doctrines, et cetera. So I started to get familiar with Catholic doctrine um, through that. But I think like the really changing moment was when my Catholic friend started freaking out that I was really becoming Mormon. Wow. Really freaking out that I was becoming Mormon. And she's like, okay, you have to come to mass with me at least once. Like you just like give this a consideration basically. And she, she laughs about it now because she's like, I mean, I would have given anything for you just to become Christian. Uh And then when you had your conversion, I should have been happy. But the fact that you were going down the Mormon path, like, totally threw me for a loop like had you been become protestant or something like that no problem but the fact that you're becoming mormon she said i just couldn't handle it yeah well and they're not i don't know if i'd quite call them christian right because they don't believe in the trinity right in the same way so yeah theologically if we're going to make the distinction i I don't think we could quite call them they don't share the trinitarian faith yeah absolutely i mean in a way they're almost more like islam where they also believe in Christ just right. not I don't know do Mormons believe in the divinity of Christ they can if they're not Trinitarian right <laughs> yeah it's it's a funny thing but I think honestly if you like talk to your everyday Mormon uh-huh. they do have a faith in Christ mm-hmm. so despite what their like official doctrine is and like but I think your everyday practicing Mormon has a true faith in Christ yeah despite okay. the way that the the doctrines are formulated in the church okay yeah so that's why it's a little like Funky. I always get a little nervous to say, okay, well, Mormons aren't Christian. I was like, okay, well, technically no, because of their doctrines and their baptism is not Trinitarian. So that's okay. a problem too. Uh, but at the same time, like the individual faith of, of, of many members, I do think mm-hmm. has a... Like they would pray to Jesus? Yeah, okay. exactly. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. So you, you go to your first Catholic mass? <laughs> so... This is so funny <laughs> and ironic. I'm just like, oh, was it a good Catholic? Mass? I know, right? <laughs> what happened? So, <laughs> so, first of all, two friends end up taking me, and one of them is now a poor Claire sister in oh California. My goodness. So you kind of have that going already. And they get me in the car, and they say, so actually, we're going to take you to a Maronite liturgy. 
Wow. So my first mass wasn't even in the Roman Rite. Wow. It was in the Maronite Rite, which maybe was a good thing because it had, you know, the incense and the beauty and the, right, like a lot of the elements that sometimes we lose in your everyday neighborhood parish sure. mass sometimes. Yeah, but yeah. Anyway, th- that's a different different type of topic, but mm-hmm. beauty and the liturgy. Um, so we go, we go, and then they tell me, oh, and also, just so you know, we're getting there about half an hour early, and there's Eucharistic adoration taking place. And I was like, hmm, okay. I knew what I knew what Catholics believed about Jesus and the Eucharist. Um, so they gave me a little explanation of like what was adoration, um, exposition of the Blessed Sacrament, a moment to be able to pray in front of Jesus in the in the Eucharist. And I said, okay, well, great. So we go, we get there. Abuna, they call their their priest Abuna, which means father. I didn't know that. Aramaic, I think, perhaps. Yeah, probably. Yeah, I think it's an Aramaic Abuna. Maronite. They're the Lebanese. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Mm-hmm. I know their their liturgies. They actually speak in Aramaic for the consecration. Oh wow! So that's kind of beautiful. Anyway, so Father Abuna goes and he exposes the Blessed Sacrament, and there's bells, and there's incense, and there's candles, and there's this kind of Eastern singing going on. It's, it's kind of like a mystical experience, oh, sure. you know what I mean? Especially for someone who's never been to any sort of religious, real religious liturgy. The Mormons don't really have a liturgy. So okay. I had been to some of their services, but it's not a liturgy, properly speaking. So that was pretty impressive. Yeah. That was pretty impressive. But I, um, so I, I was kneeling in the church because I was like, well, I'm going to pray. I'm not going to pray to that thing. <laughs> I'm going to pray. Yeah. Uh, and again, I, I these are the types of graces where where we see so clearly like it's God's work and not our work. Like it's not what we do or what we're trying to do that 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 saves us. No, it, it's like it's really the free gift of God. Because I was I was there praying in front of our Lord in the Blessed Sacrament and. I couldn't keep my eyes off of him. Mm. Even though I, I hadn't made an act of faith, I didn't believe that this was Jesus, but I just kind of kept thinking over to myself, wow, like these people think this is Jesus, and they're acting like this is Jesus, and they're praying to him like this is Jesus. And for some reason, the words of the, of the gospel story, when Jesus is going to heal, um, I think it's the... Um, the synagogue official's child. Oh yeah. Uh, no, it's the it's a it's the Roman official. It's the Roman official. He asked Jesus to come heal one of his servants who's sick, and Jesus says, "Okay, I'm going to come down." Right, and he says, "No, no, no, no. Just say the word." Mm-hmm. Right, and um, and Jesus praises his faith. And I might be getting my stories mixed up, but anyway, there's there's yeah. one of the one of the the healing stories where where then the the man says, "Lord, I believe. Help my unbelief." Lord, I believe I help my unbelief. I don't know how that came to me in that moment. Right. But I started praying that prayer to Jesus in the Blessed Sacrament. Wow. And praying that prayer, which was a grace itself, because I, I there was no way that I came up with that on my own. Again, I received that 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 grace of, of belief. Mm. belief. Wow. In our Lord's presence wow. right there in the Blessed Sacrament. Yeah, I, I'm always fascinated by like conversion stories because some some people have a story, and I think this is often more the case with with people who are Protestant, where it's like research and reading the church fathers and reading scripture right, and study, right. study, study, and then finally they're like, "Oh my gosh, it all lines up," you know? <laughs> and like you're you have not really any faith background, and it's you know, as soon as you really utter a, a you know a, a, an honest prayer, and then as soon as you're in front of the Blessed Sacrament for the first time, like it just Comes. comes yeah yeah <laughs> i think it's because our lord knows he needs to be that upfront with me because yeah. otherwise i would go off in whatever direction yeah but but it it is beautiful because i think you know the temptation maybe if you're somebody who studied your way into the faith is that you kind of can be like oh, i figured it out like sure. you know right. i'm i'm like the detective and i've put all the pieces together and it it doesn't feel as much like a gift maybe i maybe i'm projecting yeah. that onto somebody yeah. but I just, I like the simplicity of, of the way your story is. Mm-hmm. And really, at the end of the day, we can't believe just because we understand something. 
Yeah. Because then that's us and that's a very human act. Yeah, I I actually I learned that very recently like as I was preparing for my my comprehensive exams there was these study sessions and one of the professors leading it he he was talking about the nature of faith and mm. how if you only believe because you it makes sense to you and you understand it mm-hmm. That's not actually supernatural faith, right? Exactly, you know? exactly. And and I and it makes sense, but I'd never thought about that before because I think for a lot of people, especially, you know, Catholics who you're raised in the faith, but then you sort of question it. Mm-hmm. You know, the more you study, you're like, oh, this does make sense. Mm-hmm. I can believe this. Mm-hmm. Um, but if it if it's only ever your rational analysis of it, then it's not totally, totally faith. Exactly. It's still, it's still in the human modality. We could yeah, say like it's not. We haven't allowed ourselves to be, yeah, to be making supernatural acts of faith in the way that, that, that God wants to give us to live his life. Right, right, right. And it doesn't mean that an act of faith, like, you know, is irrational. Right. It's just you, you have to get to a moment where you're like, I actually don't understand anything, <laughs> you know, which is great. And I felt, I mean, I, the more I study theology, the more I'm like, yeah. I, 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 don't I have no idea. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, and if you look to the, to many of the mystics that we look to, the, the, the teachers of the faith, St. John of the Cross, St. Teresa of Avila, St. Therese of the Child Jesus, Mother Teresa, mm-hmm. all of these saints experienced a great darkness of faith. Yeah. And, and that was the moment where our Lord stripped them of their understanding of the faith, mm. where they couldn't perceive that they understood. Right. But they believed and they loved anyway. Right. Yeah. Yeah, and I think, I think most people, you know, even if you don't experience that profound extended period of, you know, dark night of the soul, I think any experience of suffering, you're just like, yeah. do I actually believe this? Right. And then, like, you can look at the crucifix and be, okay, like, God has come to suffer with me and for me, but it still doesn't make sense. Mm. I can't explain mm. why this happened and why God allowed mm. this and what he's doing here. Mm-hmm. And any experience of suffering, you just come face to face with the, you know, the insufficiency of your reason. Yep, exactly. And that's where the, the true act of faith starts to come. Yeah, absolutely. So so you go to this Maronite liturgy <laughs> and you're just hooked from then on. You're just like... Catholicism, Catholicism, let's go. Let's go. <laughs> <laughs> Pretty much. I mean, I turned to my friend right before Mass time. I was like, I got to be Catholic. Wow. <laughs> Can you imagine her perspective of that? <laughs> like, whoa, <laughs> what yeah. just happened? <laughs> yeah, but I, I just, I, I, I love, because like I was telling you, I work in college campus, college campus ministry, and it's very easy to overthink like your approach to somebody. You're like, well, how do I make this mm. so that they want mm-hmm. to come? And mm-hmm. It just, like, with all your friends, it was just a simple invitation. Come yep. to adoration. Yep. Come to mass. Read the Bible. You know? Yep. That's easy. That's just, you know, three words. Two words. And and to think about, I was I was pretty against them at the beginning. I, I, was, I was pretty adamantly atheist. And so for them to have the courage to make those simple invitations, I, I think is also pretty pretty important for us to learn from. And what I've definitely learned from is that, just because uh, somebody professes something that you don't believe, I think in our culture we have such a we walk the line, you know. Yeah. Uh, so let's let's just not talk about these types of things, but make the invitation. Right. The worst they say is no. The yeah. worst they do is ridicule you the way that I did to my friends. Right. But somehow they still persevered in friendship, and it wasn't like they were inviting me every other day or every other week or something like that. But sure. it was um, an invitation. And then continue with friendship. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. So how soon after that did you enter RCIA? Okay, so I would have been in my junior year of high school with that kind of experience. Uh, I wanted to join RCIA that year. I finally told my parents about my experiences <laughs> that I had been having, which I oh, hadn't really been wanting to do. How Even did that go? <laughs> <laughs> Uh, at the time, it felt like the end of the world. Yeah. To, uh, you mean to them or to you or both? To me, to them. I think I think it was very difficult because we were very close. Yeah. And, and we are close still, thanks be oh, to good. God. But um, at the time, yeah, it, it was very difficult. I, I think I put a lot of pressure on myself 
because I was looking at the way that I was raised and I was looking at some of the way that my parents had spoken about religious people and things like that. And I was starting to make some conclusions that I don't think were fair to them, mm-hmm. weren't necessarily what they really believed or thought of, of religion and, and, and people. So I got really nervous to tell them. And so I, I, I did tell them and, um, not like they threw me out of the house right. you know nothing like that but they um i think they felt hurt and that in some way i was rejecting the way that they had raised me oh wow and again i don't think any of these things were necessarily spoken but i think it's just what what everybody felt right um so anyway, they they then they were also a little bit worried that I was just being carried away by friends and sure. things like that. So they wanted to make sure that I was really making an adult decision about this, and uh, so they asked me to wait a year. Wow! Until okay. I turned eighteen. Yeah, that was a really hard year. Yeah, that was a really hard year. Wow! And I didn't really understand at the time. I didn't. I couldn't understand. So I think at the time I took that as they're against what I'm trying to do. Looking back now as an adult, I can kind of see, I think they were trying to protect me. They were trying to still look for my good. Mm -hmm. They weren't necessarily against me becoming Catholic so much as they were against me making a rash decision based off of what my friends believe or think or something like that. Influence of friends, I guess. Right. Yeah, which I mean, I think I can respect that. And for something that was so unfamiliar to them, mm-hmm. you know, it is, I mean, all, all the time people come home from high school and they're like, I want to do this, I want to do that, you know, and you're right, like, right, you know, your parents are like, well, if so-and-so jumped off the bridge, Would you, exactly, <laughs> exactly. You know, so I can, I mean, and, and, you know, there are religious groups out there that have kind of almost predatory tactics where they kind of suck you in right. and, you know, I think, yeah, that it's, maybe there was some wisdom and, and, it, and it certainly had to test your, your very nascent faith. Yes, exactly. And, and really, I, I think that developed a beautiful love for our Lord in the Blessed Sacrament because mm. desire begets love, a deep burning of love. And so I had a desire to receive our Lord in Holy Communion, but I couldn't. Wow. Yeah. So yeah. I'd sneak off to the daily masses before school or on a day if we had a late start or something like that and get up to the front row in the pew because you're like, okay, I can't receive him, but at least I can be as close to him as possible right yeah actually um let me ask you this because um (laughs) like you know we we know that you know one of the most I mean all the commandments are important but one of the commandments is honor your father and mother Mm -hmm. and and that always means like you know unless your father and mother are telling you to do something that is sinful or or whatever right um and and in your case your parents are really asking you to to honor them um in not becoming Catholic or in waiting to become Catholic Mm -hmm. so I, I wonder, do you think if you had sort of like disobeyed them and behind their back, like <laughs> gone through RCA, do you think that would have been a legitimate sort of breaking of that commandment? Or you think mm. that would have been, um, yeah, I don't know, uh, yeah, disobedient? Right. It's tricky. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's, that's a tricky one. <laughs> and, I, and I don't know, because I mean, it doesn't sound like they were hostile. They're like, we're going to you know, beat you every time you pray right, or something, right. no, you know. By no means, by no means, no. In the end, I look back and I'm like, actually, you were pretty good to me. Yeah. <laughs> we we definitely had consulted the parish priest. Oh, okay. As to whether I could start RCIA my junior year when I was still 17. And um, he took some time to kind of pray about it and look at that, the, like all the components of the situation. Yeah. And... Um, and he concluded that for two reasons, um, one, to respect my parents and not to create an unnecessary division and kind of further their alienation from the faith, mm-hmm. which I think certainly would have happened had had he supported me coming into the church right away. Yeah. Um, and then also, and this I think also kind of wise, realizing that I have very little formation um, yeah. to to use that year as like a an, another year of preparation. So even though I wasn't in RCIA proper, he would give me different books to read. Okay. I was I was receiving formation during that time. Yeah. Um, so in the end I think 
I don't I don't want to make any sort of like sure. moral decision. But it's but it's good that it. it wasn't just you. Like you had this counselor essentially to to also look at the situation. Yeah. You know. Yeah. And I'm really grateful too because we don't always realize how relationships can be hurt and broken mm-hmm. from those types of decisions. Like, okay, from a rash high school perspective, of course, I just want to go and get baptized and do what I need to do with my with my life. But I look back now and, and I see how that could have really damaged my relationship with my family had I totally spurned them. Yeah. And it wasn't as though they weren't letting me go to mass. It wasn't as though they weren't letting me go to some of the youth group things. It wasn't as though they were preventing. Yeah. I, I mean, you're still essentially in a way practicing the faith. You're just not in the sacramental life. Right. You know? Right. Which that itself is a danger. You're like, okay, sure, I, yeah. I, I, need, I need to receive <laughs> sanctifying grace. But right. uh, yeah, complicated. Yeah. But I, I, I think in that situation... Anyway, we'll find out in heaven. <laughs> right, right, right. <laughs> it, it looks like it didn't, you know, damage <laughs> you too much. So. so did they end up coming to your baptism and all of that? They did, actually, yeah. which was really, really a great blessing. Um, they were like, what? It starts at 11? <laughs> <laughs> That's right, because Easter Vigil, yeah. And they'd never <laughs> been to a Mass before, so wow. they're at, their first Mass is this Easter Vigil. Oh my goodness. God bless them. <laughs> wow. But they were pretty like, you know, I guess relatively supportive, you know. Yeah. My parents are good. Like they they want me to, like most parents, right? Like they they want their child to be happy and they want to do their child to do something that's meaningful. And this was both of these things sure. and it wasn't what they expected. It wasn't what they envisioned. It's not what they would have chosen. But nevertheless, they they were they were supportive in that. Yeah, yeah. My vocation, not yeah. as much. Okay, okay. Yeah. Um, okay, so you you do the sacraments senior year. You're Catholic. You're looking at Catholic college. So mm-hmm. you end up at Mount Saint Mary's. Mm-hmm. Um, how was your college experience? Did you like it there? Loved it. Yeah, yeah. Loved the Mount. Newborn Catholic. You show up at a college that was founded in 1808. It has a seminary on on campus, so you have 150 seminarians that are walking around and clerics. You have um, religious statues. There's like six different chapels on campus that you can go to. There's daily mass. I mean, I was like in Catholic heaven, uh, you know. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> was it? I mean, I you played? Did you play softball all four years there? No. So in the end, I actually I only played my freshman year. Really? At the Mount, partially because of the issue of faith. Um, that's what I was wondering because I think sometimes, unfortunately, on sports teams, the culture can be yeah kind of hostile. Yeah, 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 <laughs> to say the least. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, again, I look back now a little bit, and I, I think I could have been a little bit more compassionate towards my sure to my room, my teammates and things like that. But I was a newborn Catholic, and I was really excited for the faith. These were mostly Catholic women who had grown up in Catholic school, had gone to Catholic high school. But we're no longer attending mass. We're partying, you know, the whole culture, the whole you know, college culture, and so that was hard. That was hard. And then also, I mean, I I was realizing that softball wasn't my life anymore mm-hmm. because before it had been like that had been everything, and now it wasn't. And and it was hard. It was hard to be able to to go to daily mass because you'd have early morning workouts and then you'd go to classes and then you would have practice and then you would have mandatory yeah. study hall and it was like your oh whole gosh. life was that team and it wasn't fulfilling anything anymore yeah so that was one of the aspects and then I think the other aspect that helped me decide not to play anymore was really recognizing my vocation to the consecrated life wow and realizing that I needed to do something about how much loans I was going to get by the end oh. of college. Oh, so but you weren't getting like a scholarship for I softball? had a three-quarter scholarship. Okay. But you know, private Catholic universities, that still leaves you with like $15,000 oh, sure. a year that you're paying. Oh, yeah. Because um, you're at a $60,000, $70,000 a year tuition program. Right. So I, I did have a good scholarship, but what I realized is that I was able to shave off a whole year of college studies 
if I dropped softball and took extra classes. Oh, wow. Okay. So I, I, I graduated in three years okay. from the Mount, which ended up saving. Yeah. In the end, it, like calculation wise, it ended up saving more money than had I kept my softball scholarship hmm. and played all four years. Oh, wow. Okay. Um, so, so by the time you were a freshman in college, like you knew that you had a religious vocation. <laughs> 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 I would say more towards like yeah the end of my freshman okay. year. Um, honestly, I think I knew from that moment wow. of my initial conversion. And did you know what nuns no. were? No, <laughs> yeah, exactly. So that's like where it's like kind of funny, but like I knew that I belonged totally to God, mm. that He had claimed me in some way, and that my heart was His. I didn't know what that meant, but I think intuitively I knew that meant not a human marriage. Of course, I had no idea what that looked like in the life of the church or anything like that. But when when I was going through RCIA, one of the friends who had brought me to Mass and Adoration, I told you she had become a poor Claire. Yeah. Right? She's a poor Claire now. Well, she was one year older than me. So she had graduated and entered the poor Claire's wow. my senior year of high school. Wow, right out of high school. Right out of high school. Yep, she's still there. She's still there. God bless her. I'm, oh gosh, that's amazing. <laughs> <laughs> I know. Can you? I, yeah. <laughs> I mean, that's a grace to be 18 and. Yep, leave it all behind. Yeah, four walls. Wow, Northern California. Have you ever? I mean, I guess yeah. Can you visit her? Have you ever gotten to oh, see her? Oh gosh. Okay, someday it's gonna happen because yeah. she's she's in in Northern California and we have a mission in Northern California. Okay. I'm jumping really far ahead, but when I when I wrote to her, I, we stayed pen pals. Okay. And when I wrote to her, telling her that I was going to enter, I was like, okay, I'm entering this, like, missionary order that was founded in Argentina. We're all over the world. There's no way she's ever going to know who we are. Okay, no problem. I'm just going to tell her that I'm entering. And I got a letter back from her. She was like, ha, your sister's come for retreat day every month. And I was oh like, stop gosh. it. <laughs> That's too much. Wow. So someday if I get out to our mission in California to be able to visit, for sure I'll be able to have an opportunity mm. to see her. Wow, that would be amazing. Yeah. Wow. Um, so how did you find out about the uh, your religious order? Because you said they weren't at the Mount at the time you were there. Correct. Yeah, they weren't at the Mount. I Well, honestly, when I got to the Mount, I started I started studying philosophy. Okay. Which I guess is not so, too much of a surprise if I was <laughs> asking all those questions in high school yeah. and thinking about these deeper life issues in high school. Um, so I, I majored in philosophy. And I, I'm not really sure why I told you that, but that's okay. Anyway, no, that's great. <laughs> Major that's philosophy. the way to do it. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, this is why because I discovered Saint Thomas Aquinas okay. through my study of philosophy. Okay, so I started really loving Thomistic philosophy, throwing myself into the studies of Saint Thomas, and. Once I was kind of realizing my vocation, I said, okay, well, I guess that means I have to be a Dominican mm. because if I love St. Thomas and I love philosophy and I'm going to be a religious, <laughs> A plus connect, B yeah. equals C, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Connect the dots. So I, I kept looking for an opportunity to get out to Nashville or Ann Arbor where there's two different orders of Dominican sisters and just never worked out. Mm. I was never able to get out there. One of the summers that I stayed on campus to, to teach, or sorry, to work and to study, there was a vocations retreat that took place on campus for high school girls. And in this type of retreat, they bring in a bunch of different religious orders. So I was on campus. I wasn't in high school, but I was on campus. So I went over for the, the retreat, the parts of the retreat that I could participate in. Yeah. And the Dominicans were there. So I was super excited. I finally got to kind of talk with some of them. And they gave me their vocations director's number and things like that. And also the Servidora sisters were there. So met these sisters in blue and gray. And uh, I enjoyed talking with the sister that I that I met. And we hung out qu quite a bit. And afterwards, she was like, hey, well, you're on campus all summer, right? And I was like, yeah. And she's like, are you doing anything? And I was like, no, it's Emmitsburg. Like, <laughs> <laughs> what is there to do yeah. in a normal school year? Right, right. <laughs> There's nothing to do during the summer. <laughs> yeah. You can't even ski, like, yeah, you know. Yeah, exactly. Like, you can't do anything. She's like, well, come down for, for pizza on Friday night and hang out with us or something like that. I was like, okay. Yeah, that, that sounds like fun. So I borrowed a car, and I went down, and I, I, I visited the sisters, and um, 
it's just really funny because I had no intention of discerning with our religious family mm. at yeah. all. I just like I had no like initial attraction or anything like that. It was more like I'm a college student. I'm bored. Right. Yeah, I want to hang out with nuns. Yeah. Like, <laughs> <laughs> and there's pizza involved. And there's pizza so. involved. And I get off campus for a little bit. And, and I enjoyed my time with them. Like, I, yeah. I really enjoyed praying with them. I enjoyed, yeah, we had, like, we played games after pizza. And then, and then the next morning, they had me help with a, a project that they were doing in the house. Did you stay the night there? I stayed the night. Oh, yeah, okay. they let me stay the night, which I was grateful for because it's, like, an hour and a half from the mouth. Yeah. So. And anyway, so yeah, we were, they had me help with a project. They were putting new bookshelves into the library. Mm -hmm. And I was working with the sister who's in charge of the studies for the formation sisters. And she was the one who was like organizing the library and things like that. And she's like, okay, so these are the the books of St. Thomas. And here are the commentaries on St. Thomas and the St. Thomas (laughs) and the St. Thomas. And I was like, Oh, <laughs> you study St. Thomas? <laughs> That's so cool. <laughs> and like the timing, right? Like it yeah. had to be right then. And I had to be with that sister who right. actually knew quite a bit about philosophy and theology and St. Thomas and okay. philosophy and things like that. Anyway, so I just kind of like tucked that in the, mm-hmm. the back of my back of my pocket and went back home and visited them a couple of times. But I still had my eyes like set on the Dominicans um, until... At one point, one of my friends said, listen, what are you doing? Like, you come back from the sisters in D.C. so happy, so joyful. Hmm. What are you looking for? Like, what else are you looking for? Why don't you enter with them? Because I don't want to be a missionary. (laughs) (laughs) What did you want to do? Be like a teacher? Yeah. So, I mean, at that point, like, I was getting further along in my college career, and I... I was really interested in the Catholic response to um, modern philosophy. Okay. So, like, modern philosophy really did a number to our culture. Yeah. Really (laughs) bad number to our culture. And and how do we respond? Do we, like, just dig in our heels and say, let's go back to St. Thomas. Let's Mm -hmm. go back, you know. Or is there a way to dialogue? Or do we just go past it and we move forward? You know, like, how does the truth how do we respond even on a philosophical level to the problems of modern philosophy? So this was like the philosophical question I was getting really interested in. Um, And so, yeah, I wanted to be able to pursue that topic and then um, within the context of a, of a religious vocation and potentially to teach, to to teach philosophy or theology. But like the intellectual kind of life attracted you a lot yeah exactly Mm -hmm. exactly and so when I saw our sisters I was like great they have a good intellectual formation but um I don't really want to go to Tanzania I don't know (laughs) (laughs) that's fair (laughs) it's not on like the top 10 travel list right (laughs) right um but God has his ways and 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 I realized that I was like putting my desires ahead of his Mm. and I wasn't really open to his so when my friend said that, it, it, it kind of shook me a little bit, and and I took that to prayer for for a while, and and realized, no, actually, I think I think he is calling me to be a missionary. Wow! And even that's like not my my initial desire. I think it's his desire for me, mm-hmm. and so I, I I need to say yes to this. Um, wow! Now, irony of all ironies, <laughs> I'm back at Mount Saint Mary's right. University teaching and I work on a philosophy project a translation project of a philosoph a Thomistic philosopher who responds to the problems of modern philosophy wow <laughs> which is so cool God's like I know I know your heart I know yep. your dreams I'm it's gonna like, fulfill them I'm gonna fulfill them <laughs> actually I put those desires there right. in you first uh, yeah but I wanted you to let go of them mm. so that I could fulfill them in the way that I want to yeah that's so cool <laughs> um so did you enter right out of college? So I did still have some student loans to okay. take care of um, after college. So I went back home and I stayed with my parents because they let me stay for free. Yeah. <laughs> which oh, was yeah. Really I did think after college. Yep. It's great. <laughs> it's really great. I was one of the lucky ones who was able to find a full-time position um, right afterwards. So I worked towards paying off my student loans. I worked for about a year and a half and then I 
still had student loans at that point, but I was able to receive a grant from a program called uh, the Mater Ecclesia Fund for Vocations, mm-hmm. and they assist young young people who are trying to enter religious life or seminary who struggle with, with student loans. So yeah. they give you a grant, allows you to enter. They kind of take over your monthly payments while you discern in your religious order. Oh, okay, okay. So as you, so you are, so you don't necessarily enter with zero debt per se. Yeah. I mean, they, they do, we transfer the name of the loans into, into their name, but, um, what they, the way it kind of works is they, they pay off your, your monthly dues, your monthly payments, um, until you profess final vows. And then once you profess final vows, they promise to pay off the whole, within five years of that okay. time. Okay. If you leave sometime in between, then you would just retake on your student debt. Okay. You wouldn't then be in debt to them no, as well. No, thanks be to God. That's no. very generous. Yeah, it's very, very <laughs> generous. And, and really, they have a way to be able to like reduce the monthly payment to be as low as it possibly can um, because you're in non-employment status. And uh, okay. so it, it does get pretty low, good, which yeah. gives you the freedom to discern without feeling guilty or feeling obligated to stay because oh, somebody's paid my loans and gives them like a little bit of protection too, that they don't just pay everybody's loans and then they leave religious life sure. and go, you know, whatever. Yeah, yeah, of course. Yeah. So were you teaching out of college then or? No. So after I graduated, I was a DRE in Portland oh, okay. for a year and a half. Wow. Well, what 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 type of <laughs> job you can really get with a philosophy? I know, yeah. I know. <laughs> you got to work for the church, or, yeah. you know, <laughs> which isn't bad. But no, no, it's not going to be like the not highest the money pay. maker <laughs> yeah. by any means. No, I always I always joke like if I had no moral compass, like I think I would try to become a modern artist <laughs> <laughs> because you can make millions and you don't even have to be good, right? You just put a streak of paint right, on your and wall. they just have like a story about how it's like subversive to like something, and they're just like, yeah. <laughs> but I can't I can't like you know live a lie so <laughs> um so you mentioned like your parents are a little like uh, yeah. you know did they end up coming to your final or any of your professions or they came they came to my final vows yeah so that was really beautiful was that in DC I was in DC in 2018 yeah. okay so I entered in 2011 uh, they didn't come for my investiture of habit first vows, any of the renewal vows or anything like that. And I don't really blame them. It was, it was, they weren't protesting it by any means. Sure. But I just don't think they were ready. Yeah. So new, I, come on, imagine from their perspective. Oh. God bless them. I mean. It's, I mean, it's like you're losing your daughter, really. Yes. It's, it's not like she just gets married and, you know, she has her own family. It's like, you know, there's just a limit to how much they can see you, talk to you, and precisely. They don't, I mean, I don't know. Do they? They? They're like, do I have to call? I can't even call your given name that we gave you. I mean, yeah. I can see how that's just, especially if you're not Catholic. I think it's hard. Even I know families who are Catholic who have daughters in religious life, and it's yeah, it's it, it's a, it's a suffering in in a way. It's a, it's a major sacrifice. It's yeah. a it's a major sacrifice. Actually, my mom and I were having a nice conversation more recently about mm-hmm. it. And she said, um, she was reflecting on on the time of me entering and kind of those first years. And she said, you know, it was just so different from the life that I envisioned us having together. Yeah. And and it was very difficult. I, I couldn't even just call you when I wanted to. Yeah. Yeah. Like something just as simple and human as that. And I'm her only daughter. I have an older brother, okay. but I'm I'm her only daughter. Yeah. And and I get it. Like I, I can look now and I can I can see. And I and I did understand it then too, but yeah. you know. Yeah. Are, are are either of them have they become Catholic or Christian or anything like that? <laughs> Still praying on that one. Yeah. Okay. Okay. <laughs> but they, they, they've come a long ways and, and they they now ask me for prayers for people they oh. know and mm-hmm. they'll talk to me talk about me to their coworkers or neighbors or things like that and always always positively. Um, yeah. So I think if they didn't have a belief in God before, which I'm not sure, um, it wasn't clear to me, they do now. Yeah. I think yeah. through that struggle of like, you took my daughter. Right. Well, right. there's a you. Right, right. There's a you. Mm, mm, yeah, for sure. Um, yeah, that's so cool. Uh, and your brother, is he... 
my brother's a mountain man. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> we love a mountain man. <laughs> Good old Portland, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Be who you want to be. Be weird. <laughs> no, my mom was laughing. She said, you know, your dad and I, we really worked hard to, like, come out of poverty, to give you guys the life that we didn't have the opportunity to have, to give you the things that you didn't, we didn't have the opportunity to have growing up. And... My daughter's a none of my my son's a mountain man. Like you guys both <laughs> <laughs> took lives of poverty in different ways. Yeah, yeah. Wait, yeah, wait. Yeah. Did your brother like live off the land? Like <laughs> that's what he wants to do. He okay. he does have land. He he's not exactly a mountain. Okay, man, but he that's what he wants to be. Uh, yeah, he has land. He's building his own house. Okay. He works as a carpenter. Okay. Um, but like not immersed in the secularism of the world by any means. Sure. Um, and that's why I told my mom. I said, "Listen, your values that you gave us are not to waste." You taught us what was truly important while giving us things that, you know, that we needed and, and even things we didn't need, materially speaking. But that shows that the values that you taught us were were true and good because those are the ones that we're clinging to. Yeah. And not going after false. So true. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, that's great. Wow. Oh, man, this has been a great conversation. <laughs> no, <yeah. laughs> um, well, I guess, I mean... I don't know if there's a way for people to get in, in touch with you or your community, but is there any kind of you know contact information that you can give out for the sisters? Sure, yeah. We we have our website, which is ssvm.org. Um, ssvmusa.org, I think. Okay. Yeah, ssvmusa.org. And on our website, it has a list of all our missions here in the United States um, with email addresses and mailing address, phone number, things like that. So if if anybody's close by and wants to get in contact with the sisters or if you want to look me up in Emmitsburg. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, if you go to Mount St. Mary's. Yeah, yeah, yeah for sure. Uh, that's great. Uh, yeah, I I, um, I went to Iceland with some of your sisters a while back. Oh, cool. Yeah. Iceland. Oh, yeah, you got oh, to yeah. see one of our foreign mm-hmm. missions out there. Yeah, yeah, it was awesome. Yeah, your sisters, like, they – they're like the energizer bunnies. Like, they just go. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I was like, I'm tired. I'm 23 years old. And these <laughs> sisters are just like, go, go, go. Sleep when you're dead. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> awesome. Well, this has been awesome. Thank you so much. Sis. A mother, right? Is it mother or sister? Sister, mother? Uh, I'm always a sister. Sometimes I'm a mother. So. Okay. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Thank you. Thanks, Mary Rose. God bless.